Well, if you open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll be uh, picking up our study, the survey of the Bible through uh, from that spot, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, I just want to say a couple things before we pray. Um, you know, I've been saying for a while, like every every house, a church, every man, a pastor, and uh, we just really got to prepare one another because uh, the days the days are coming when America's American government is going to try to shut down the Bible believing church and just about every country on the planet where Christianity's had at one time or another they've had to switch to an underground church and I think that that day is coming so so we really want to uh, encourage you to get involved with some of the Bible studies and some of the fellowships in the homes but. Think about turning your home into a little either monthly or weekly place for people to come to worship Jesus because, uh, you know, if you're uh, the only you're the only guy grounded in God's word within a one mile radius of your home and everything shuts down, you might have just been ordained. So uh, so um, so every house, a church, every man, a pastor, um, uh also, we're not doing our job here at Trinity Bible Fellowship if we're not equipping the saints for service. And so I just want to keep that in your mind that um, it's not the ministers who do the ministry. The ministers ministers train the saints for service, Ephesians 4, 11 to 15. And so uh, unless we equip the saints for service, uh, we're not really pleasing the Lord and um, and so what what our goal here is that we have all warriors and no spectators, okay? And you see examples of this in our church with the vitatos and the the shoe boxes for the uh, Franklin Graham uh, uh, Association and all the Billy Graham Association and all to get get little things out and the gospel out to little kids all over the world. Uh, the need prayer ministry of uh, Irene and uh, Galloway's helped out with that as well and get nothing but good reports about that. People just driving by, seeing the sign and pulling over for prayer and what people walking up and asking for prayer. The door-to-door ministry with uh, Wayne and Michael and, and, and others and Amy helping out with that. We've got several home, five, uh, home fellowships where we study the Bible and fellowship. We got the men's Bible study, two ladies' Bible studies, and uh, you know, think about. Uh, I think in the future we're going to try to move to small group prayer meetings, where each person gets to participate and use their their gifts. Because if you worship God together, and you're using your gifts as you worship, then it's more likely you're going to use your gifts throughout the week, and your life will be a life uh, of uh, of worship. So just some things I want to just point out that just keep, keep in mind, it's, uh, it's our job to equip the saints for service. NFL football, the real deal is on Sunday, and the rest of the week is, is practice. With us, with the church, is almost the exact opposite. This is practice and equipping you for the service you're going to do throughout the week. And that doesn't have to be anything fancy. It could just be your friends and neighbors and coworkers and relatives that you disciple and and uh, that you just bring the love of the Lord Jesus and his truth into the situation. But but hopefully we'll be a, a church of warriors. And um, I'm 
I'm just shocked at the percentage of people in this church that are that I know of that are serving the Lord. And then what about the people that are serving the Lord through the week that I don't know about what it is they're doing? So that just uh, that just amazes me. It's not uncommon in the American church to have like 35 or 40 warriors in a church of 35 or 40 people. And then in a mega church of 5,000 people, you still have 35 to 40 warriors. And so that's kind of scary. So a lot of mega churches got big by pulling warriors, entertaining warriors and turning them into spectators. So, but we want to be all that God called us to be. So I just wanted you to keep that at the forefront of your mind. Okay, we'll be looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time for uh, to God anoint the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we, we love you, Lord, and we want to be, we're, we're the church, the ecclesia, a gathering of believers, but we want to be pleasing in your sight, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, uh, the quote-unquote clergy would not be looked up to, that we wouldn't, we would just understand that even the pastor, even the one who gets behind the pulpit, even the elders, even the deacons, that we're just regular Christians and hopefully we're obedient to the Lord and setting the example for others. But you've called us to be a kingdom of priests. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, as we study the scripture together, as we pray together, as we worship and fellowship together, that uh, you would make us a powerful body of spiritual warriors so that we would do your, your work, your kingdom work, and that our church uh, would be pleasing in your sight. And so today, Lord, as we study your word, I pray that it would be your word, your truth that would be proclaimed from this pulpit and not fake news, Lord. So please uh, cancel the fallible man and um, uh, anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. May we take to heart the words of your scripture and may your spirit empower us to be all that you called us to be so that we could be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, brief introduction here. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians to clear up the misunderstanding about what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians. So remember, he, Paul only spent three weeks planting the church in Thessalonica, he had to leave because of persecution. He sent Timothy back when things cleared up a little bit, when it got a little safer. But, uh, but apparently, Paul had talked to them a lot about the end times. Okay? So um, unless God's called you to an end time teaching ministry, all your discussion in Bible study should not be about the end times. It should be balanced but certainly end-time prophecies are an important part of it. I think the biggest message, why would God care about having the church focus so much on the end times when God knew Jesus wasn't coming back for at least 2,000 years? And it's because of that expectancy, that knowing that Jesus could return in any generation that would cause us to live godly lives, okay? Um, and that's one of the things, as a teacher, I'm lousy at classroom management, but I'm a little bit better at it knowing that at any time my boss, or one of my bosses, it's amazing how many bosses I have, 
I'm so low on the totem pole, but but at any given moment, one of my bosses could walk through the room and observe me teaching. And so that keeps me me sharper and all. And um, well, the fact of the matter is, uh, Jesus wanted the church to know that he's coming back. And we've got to live with the expectancy of his return. Now, uh, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, remember now, 2 Thessalonians, he wrote this to clear up the misunderstanding about what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians. So he's writing about 51 AD, shortly after planting the church there. But in 1 Thessalonians, he wrote that the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 and verse 6. So because of all the suffering that the Thessalonians were going through, they thought the day of the Lord had already come or the day of the Lord was imminent. So many of them did what a lot of us would do. They'd stopped working. In fact, they did church history has had um, uh, numerous movements, the Millerites in the 1800s, who were expecting Jesus to return in, you know, in, within weeks or whatever, and they quit their jobs, and some of them just sat on rooftops ready to go, and it didn't pan out, and, um, and Miller repented, recanted, but then some of his people started changing the dates of when Christ would return. But... Paul said the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so many, because of the sufferings they were going through, they thought they were in the tribulation. And they stopped working and waited for Jesus' imminent return. That's why in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul has to say, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. Okay? Um, I remember... And uh, I got saved in 1981, and I was reading, like, Hal Lindsey books and all, and got married in 84, and then felt uh, a call to go to Bible college. And, um, but I was thinking, well, I'm reading Hal Lindsey, 1980s, Countdown to Armageddon. Jesus' return is so close, and I never, never bought into his pre-trib views. I was trained by nothing but pre-tribbers. I thought for a while, I thought I was the only post-tribber on the planet Earth. Thought that the church was going to go through the tribulation. And um, until I found out from my Bible teacher that he told me Walter Martin, Francis Schaefer, and lots of other guys were post-trib as well. But all my training was by pre-tribbers. But whatever the case, I thought, look, the tribulation is going to start in the 1980s, countdown to Armageddon. So why even go to Bible college uh, when the days are numbered? In fact, we've had... Guys from this church tell me that decades ago they wanted to go to Bible college and someday become a pastor, but they didn't because they thought Christ's return was very near. So what I did was I, I reached a decision that, look, live every day as if Jesus could return right now, but plan like Jesus isn't going to come for 100 years, okay? So the important thing when Jesus returns, the important thing is, are you doing what he's called you to do? And enjoy, I don't like the word process because it's used so much in such a creepy way in business and education and all, but, but I'm going to use it here. Enjoy the process. So if you decide, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a two-year study of God's word, enjoy the process because if it gets interrupted by the end-time prophecies or by something else, at least you were doing what God called you to do um, up to that point.
But you don't say, well, I think Jesus is returning real soon, so I'm going to quit my job. And, okay, well, he didn't, he didn't come back yesterday. Maybe today. No, he didn't come back today. Maybe tomorrow. Okay, he hasn't come back yet. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Let me, let me hang out with my friends that I made fun of a few days ago that kept on working and kept on being productive, and then I can mooch food off of them because I know Jesus is coming within a week or so, you know, and that type of thing. And so Paul has to clear up the misunderstanding about the day of the Lord there because many had stopped working and were waiting for Jesus' imminent return. And uh, so Paul had to write Second Thessalonians to tell them the events that must occur um, before um, uh, the day of the Lord, before Christ's return. We're going to see the day of the Lord is Christ's return. It's not seven years before it. It's not three and a half years before it. It is Christ's return. And, um, and that's after the tribulation period. So the Thessalonians were suffering great persecution, and they thought they were already in the tribulation. And so verses 1 and 2, don't be deceived by fake news, okay? Um, if somebody's telling you the tribulation has already started, they better cough up some pretty good evidence, okay? And Paul said the evidence wasn't there. So look at verses 1 and 2 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Okay? So he's saying, look, don't, don't be disturbed by any false message that uh, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, he is Yahweh, he is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, but watch out for fake news concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. He puts them both together. Notice he calls the coming the coming. No hint of two phases to the second coming. If Jesus came from heaven to the sky, secretly raptured the church, and then went back to heaven with the church, and then came back, it would seem that would be a second coming and then a third coming. He says, the coming. And he says at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? Our gathering together to him. And Jesus clearly talks about this in, in Matthew 24. Now, there's some here, if you disagree with me on this, more power to you, but believe, just be willing to suffer and don't give up on Jesus if your prophetic timetable doesn't turn out to be right. Uh, if my prophetic timetable doesn't turn out to be right, I'm just going to get snatched up. It's not going to be a big, I mean, it'll be a big deal, but it's not going to be like um, unexpected suffering. Um, but whatever the case, uh, we'll be putting together a booklet, me and, uh, and Pat, on the sermons that we did pre-trib, pre that's his position, post-trib, my position, you can make the decision yourself, but all I'm saying is whether you're pre-trib or post-trib, Pat would agree, be, be willing to suffer for King Jesus, okay? Every country on the planet Earth uh, where the gospel is preached suffered physical persecution in one way, shape, or form, probably with the exception of America. And um, I don't see us as being uh, any, any special there. 
deserving any special uh, treatment. But with the Thessalonians, they were suffering great persecution. They thought they were already in the tribulation. And so Paul tells them, no, don't be deceived by fake news. The coming, the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him and the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, all three are the same event. We're going to look at that. All three are the same event. The scriptures are clear. Just go with what the scriptures say. But there's different words for the coming of the Lord. There's parousia means coming or arrival. Epiphania means appearing. Apocalypsis means revelation. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All three words for the second coming of Christ are used of, in reference to gathering the saints, but also God uh, bringing his wrath and bringing judgment to the planet Earth and, um, and punishing those uh, who did not trust in Christ. That's what first, uh, the chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians talked about. When, Paul uses that word over and over again, when Jesus comes back to punish with eternal damnation those who've rejected him, that's the exact time he's coming to rescue the church. There's not two different events. The church didn't think they were two different events until 1830. Some Christians picked up on that. And, um, and that became the popular view, not the, the view, popular view among scholars, but the popular view among Christians throughout the country. But just look, you could look at um, the sermon I preached um, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago and um, on Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. But the th same Greek words are all used for the same event. You got the trumpet blast, the clouds, the angels, Jesus returning, and gathering the saints. All of that language is used. Je Jesus uses all that language, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay? And we're going we're gonna to look at that. And, uh, but all three of these are the same event. The coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together to him, and the day of Christ. Uh, look at Matthew 24. By the way, godly Christians are going to disagree on the non-essentials. This is a very important doctrine, but it's non-essential. If I go to Walmart and I want to buy some food, and uh, they tell me they can't sell me the food because I don't have my mark, the 666 on my right hand forward. That's important, okay? That's very important. Uh, but it's not important enough to break fellowship over, okay? And, uh, but Matthew 24, 29 to 31, and uh, Jesus says this, immediately after, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send he, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So you have the coming of the Son of Man. You have 
the sound of the trumpet, the gathering together of the four elect, but that happens immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now look at the signs that occur immediately after the tribulation of those days. Some say it's a seven-year tribulation and they mark the start from the seven-year peace treaty that the Antichrist signs with many nations. Watch closely what's going on in Israel. You know, pray for the people there and pray for the people in, in the Ukraine and there's just all kinds of godless governments with all kinds of godless wars. People trying to, they tell us the wars for this reason, that reason, when, when the powers that be just want to build a new world order and global government and pave the way for the Antichrist, but pray for the people. There are innocent people being slaughtered all over the place, but watch Israel. And prophecy always centers around Israel, what's going on with Israel. The day will come right before Jesus returns when all nations will invade Israel. Zechariah 14, and when they're about to wipe them off the face of the earth, that's when King Jesus returns. That's when they cry out to Jesus and acknowledge him as their Messiah. And then Jesus returns and rescues them. And he takes his stand on the Mount of Olives, enters Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate, and, uh, and the rest is going to be history. And, uh, but Jesus said immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun darkened, the moon doesn't give its light, stars fall from the sky. Uh, then Jesus returns to gather uh, the elect. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And verse 31. Joel chapter 2 and verse 31 says, The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, that's the same events. When will that happen? Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Okay? So you have um, immediately after the tribulation period where the Antichrist rules the world for the last three and a half years, immediately after the tribulation period, you have those signs in the sky Okay, and then comes Jesus' return to gather the elect, and it's the day of the Lord. Okay, in fact, I, Paul says that we're protected from God's wrath. Read Revelation chapter 6. What is it, verses 12 to 17? The sixth seal. When you read Revelation 6, verses 12 to 17, in fact, let's look at it. You have the same signs occurring once again. Revelation 6, verses 12 to 17. And I looked when he opened, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And, uh, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich, and the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? So the wrath of God immediately follows the tribulation period when you have the, the, the sun becoming black as sackcloth, the moon becomes like blood, the stars fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens are scrolled up. And it's at that point that uh, the Lord Jesus will return with the wrath of God. That's immediately, that's the day of the Lord. That's immediately after the tribulation of those days. So all three events that Paul's talking about, the coming, the parousia, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, are gathering to him, and the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, some manuscripts read the day of the Lord, some read the day of Christ, all three are the same event, okay? And so Paul is talking about the coming of the Lord. That's why I don't believe there's a secret gathering of believers seven years earlier, three and a half years earlier, okay? Uh, it's the coming of the Lord after the tribulation of those days. And um, it's, it's why King David says in Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until when? Until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. So when Jesus comes off the throne, he's not just coming to gather the saints, but he's coming to bring the wrath of God upon uh, unsaved mankind. And he's coming to rescue the church and the nation of Israel, which at that point will be all Israel will be saved. They're going to be believers along with us and part of the assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ, part of the church. And um, so uh, Paul is talking about the coming of the Lord, and he tells us, don't be deceived. Now look at that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit. You know, what if some guy walked in to church today and, just, and he just prophesies that, you know, he has some prophetic utterance or an angel told him something, an angelic being or a prophecy, and he spouts out some. Well, you got to test what's said. And, and Paul said, look, don't, don't fall for some prophetic utterance um, or uh, some guy who says he had a vision or by word, that's by, by, in this context, by spoken word. And then he says, or by a letter as if from us that the day of the Lord has come. And so he's even saying, Paul may have had knowledge of a forged letter claiming to be from Paul, telling people we're already in the tribulation, the day of the Lord is about to come. And uh, Paul says, look, don't, don't be troubled or deceived uh, by that. And by the way, um, I've been around the block long enough uh, about 42 and a half years being saved. And I've heard every false prophecy you could possibly dig up. Everybody claiming to be speaking for God and, and an angel told me this. I had a dream. I had a vision. Test all things with the word of God. And sometimes the, the so-called prophetic word is something that you really can't tell for sure. Well, it could be, but maybe not. Well, then just put it on the back burner, okay? But stick to the Word of God. Test everything with the Word of God. And, uh, but Paul says, no, don't, don't be troubled or deceived by spirit, word, or even a forged, for, a forged letter, 
attributed to Paul saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Okay? And don't be fooled by that. And again, that 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. Some of these guys had fallen for this, whether it was supposed to be a, a vision, a prophetic word, some spoken teaching of somebody, some forged letter. Some guys say, well, why should I even work? Jesus is going to come back any day now. And so I'm going to quit working and just wait for Christ's return. Paul says, don't be troubled or deceived. Okay? Uh, you be all that God called you to be. And the day of the Lord, again, it's after the tribulation. Those signs in the skies, you can biblically pinpoint this. If you just accept what the scriptures say there, you have uh, immediately after the tribulation, those signs in the sky... And those signs in the sky happened immediately before the day of the Lord. And that's when Jesus comes to rescue um, the elect. And um, I don't believe the Bible draws a distinction between church-age believers and the tribulation saints. I believe that's something that is read into the text. It's not there. Uh, I believe that from the day I got saved because I was, in fact, it was even before I got saved because I didn't have the salvation issue down but I believe Jesus was coming back and I couldn't wait. But then I thought I didn't, it was good. He didn't come back then because I wasn't a believer yet. Things would have gotten pretty hot in the kitchen for a long, long time. And, uh, but, um, but whenever Hal Lindsey and other writers, I think Charles R. Taylor and these other pre-trib guys, whenever they would talk about us being snatched away before the tribulation, I'd go there and I just didn't, did not see it, did not see it. And whenever I try to put a timeline together, it always seemed like the church would go through the tribulation and, um, and then Jesus would return to rescue the church at the second coming. And uh, so the day of the Lord is Christ's return to gather believers and to judge uh, non-believers. And as 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, it's not with tribulation that he judges the non-believers, uh, not what we would call the seven-year tribulation period. It's with eternal torment eternal conscious torment. So that's after um, the tribulation period. And so then in verses three to five, he says this, uh, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The day of the Lord. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of the Lord, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. That day will not come unless what happens first? That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Okay. And, um, and so Paul says that before the day of the Lord, before Christ returns to gather the church, the apostasy has to come first. Uh, apostasia in the Greek is the falling away of the faith. Very, there's a few pre-tribbers that try to make that the rapture. The rapture has to come first. The falling away from the faith has nothing to do um, with the rapture. It's the, the falling away of the faith. You have the end time false church replaces the true church. 
okay? That's what the falling away from the faith is. The end time false church replaces the true church, okay? Um, right now, it's about 50-50. Somebody says, I'm a, yo, I'm a Christian. Well, in America, that might mean, okay, you really are a believer and you go to a Bible-believing church, but it also might mean you call yourself a Christian, but you go to a church that just... Uh, preaches woke, neo-Marxist, anti-Christian immorality. So it's about 50-50. Well, the day's going to come when, you know, the only churches with signs outside their buildings saying, you know, Trinity Bible Fellowship or Bible Baptist Church or whatever, the, the only churches that are going to have signs out there for people to come are going to be churches that are in agreement with the, the government the anti-Christian government. And so all the, what the, the true church is going to have to go underground. So the end time false church will replace the true church. And so the day of the Lord will not come until the falling away of the church occurs first. And then the man of sin, the son of perdition, the antichrist is revealed. That has to happen first. So Paul's saying don't freak out, Thessalonian Christians. Don't freak out. Yeah, you're suffering persecution. The history of the church is filled with persecution, with a few exceptions like America. Uh, but don't freak out just because you're suffering because uh, the day of the Lord is not going to come until the falling away of the church comes first and the man of sin the son of hell, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, is revealed. Okay? Now, look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Jesus gives us his overview of the end times, and it's a pretty authoritative overview because he happens to be God. But anything in the scripture is pretty authoritative because the authors happen to be guided by God to record his word without error. But Matthew 24, you know, it starts at, at verse 3. We're not going to have time to read it all. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? He just told them that one stone would not be left upon another. The temple is going to be destroyed. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they didn't realize that they're asking two different questions. When is the temple going to be destroyed? So as part of his answer is going to address the destruction of the temple. Uh, but the end, the Lord's coming and the end of the age. And the Lord doesn't come seven years before the end of the age or three and a half years before the end of the age. But he comes at the end of the age. So he tells us, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay? And... Um, and he talks about, don't let anybody deceive you. There's going to be false Christ. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. But don't worry, this is not the, the end yet. Uh, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, diseases, earthquakes. Those are just the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. As they increase in intensity and in frequency, you'll be getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to be delivered up to tribulation and be killed uh, by all nations. For what? 
for my namesake. These are believers. We're going to be arrested, beat up, in prison, and hated because of Jesus' namesake. That's one of the key signs of the last days. Christians will be hated in every nation on earth. Another key sign, the Jews, or at least the governments of every nation are going to hate the Jews because all nations will invade Israel in the last days. Jesus says a little bit later in this passage, uh, lawlessness is going to increase. Man's love will grow cold. There'll be many false prophets. We're seeing a lot of that stuff coming down right now. And so what do we do? We stay true to Jesus. Okay? Might have to change a little bit the way we operate. Might have to operate in secret. Don't, wait, but believe me, when we got this church, we went 34 years as a church, an ecclesia, an assembly when we got this building. But we are the church, not the building. And I would be very, very sad and disappointed if the government outlawed Christianity and we had to go back into the homes and if our, a few of our people said, well, the building's more important to us, okay, and let's just keep the building going. There was one time we tried to merge with another church. They needed a preacher, and we needed a building, and... Um, and one of the warnings I got from the pastor who was going to be moving out was uh, don't preach on quote-unquote political issues. What he meant was don't preach on moral issues. Don't preach against abortion. Don't call homosexuality a sin because he had some politically correct members there. And I said, well, what are they doing there in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church? Well, they were like the grandchildren of the people who built the building. So they were there because of the building. They weren't there um, because of the gospel, okay? This building is not the church. We are the church. The ecclesia is the called out assembly, okay? And, uh, and so, but Jesus said, false teachers will come, lawlessness will increase, man's love will grow cold. I mean, you just look at the, the way we're... The way terrorists are slaughtering people nowadays, they have no problem decapitating babies and females. And in, in, in the name of their God, their false God, Allah, raping females. Uh, man's love will grow cold. And, um, but then it says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So the end's not going to come till the gospel's preached to all nations. That's going to be very important in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because when God allows, stops restraining the Antichrist from being revealed, it's going to be after people have rejected the truth and then God will send them strong delusion. Well, how can they accept, reject the truth if they haven't heard it? Well, the gospel's going to be preached to all nations. By the way, when what we call nations today, the gospel has been preached to all nations. And yet the end has not yet come. Well, the problem is what we mean by na nations and what the ancients meant by nations. We mean like official national governments and their borders and all. In the ancient times, whether Jew or Gentile, what you meant by a nation was a, a people group, which were usually defined since the Tower of Babel by the language in which you spoke. So different language groups. Okay, and even though the gospel has been preached to all what we call nations, 
there are many language people groups, tribal peoples who don't have written languages that have yet to hear the gospel. Now, let me tell you this, though. We are on a fast track to reaching those hundreds of language groups that are left um, because we're learning their language. We're, we're inventing a written language for them. And then we're taking the old Jesus video based on the Gospel of Luke, the Jesus video from the 1970s, and we're dubbing it in. We're getting locals with their, who speak the language of the people, of the tribal people groups, and they're dubbing it in. And it's not uncommon when they show the film, and it's the Gospel of Luke, for between 20% and 40% of the people who hear it get saved. For most of them, it's the first motion picture they've ever seen. And... Um, so we're on the fast track now, but the gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. And then when does Jesus tell us to head to the hills? Verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, um, the horrific, blaspheming thing spoken of by Daniel, uh, the prophet, standing in the holy place that's in the temple, so this is the Antichrist in the temple proclaiming to be God. And then they build a false prophet, builds an image of the Antichrist in the temple, gives it the power to speak and to breathe. He institutes the mark of the beast. Revelation 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, tell us about it. Then Jesus says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. And he's basically saying, when the Antichrist is revealed, we won't know for sure. Even if some guy signs a seven-year peace treaty, we'd be like, okay, this guy could be the Antichrist, and the temple's being rebuilt. Okay, let's, let's really start thinking about this. But until the guy goes in the temple, proclaims himself to be God, the Antichrist has not fully been revealed. Okay? And, uh, and so Jesus says all this is going to happen first, and um, he says the return of Christ in this passage is not going to be secret. Uh, he says if they say, you know, he, he's in the, uh, in the wilderness, don't go. He's in the hidden rooms, don't go. Uh, because uh, verse 27, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It is going to be obvious. As, as obvious as the lightning striking in the east, flashing to the west. So don't listen to people that say, he secretly came here, he secretly came there. And, um, and so Jesus makes it very, very clear what Paul is making clear, that you have to have that apostasy come first. In fact, where it says that many will be offended, there's a de debate about the Greek word there. Um, it talks about uh, in verse 10, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Uh, some translations read, and then many will fall away. Okay, so there's going to be there's going to be a point where there's going to be a falling away of the church, and um, and then professing Christians are going to be betraying true Christians, and um, and hating the, the true Christians. By the way, there's some there's some churches in our county that have referred to me as a dangerous false teacher and things of this sort, and um, uh, probably the number one culprit, there's been a few, the, 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 the uh, Methodist Church in Brownsville, that's a New Age church. 
and uh, they didn't like me. Our radio program, the local radio program, 30 years ago used to come on right after theirs, and uh, and uh, they didn't like me. But uh, but also on uh, Perry Avenue, the Unitarian Universalist Church, they just New Age, pro gay rights, pro LGBTQ, anti traditional Christianity, and um, and so you have false churches out there, but eventually that they're going to be the majority so that the true Christian churches are going to be singled out um, for persecution. So that falling away of the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Now, the Spirit expressly, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's the, that's the apostasia. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So the false church is going to be demonic. Uh, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. You're ready right now. You got like... A, an infinite number of genders, supposedly. No, in the beginning, God created the male and female. Okay? We're redefining everything. And I think that the, the, the powerful leaders that are telling us this garbage, this baloney, they don't even believe it themselves. They're just trying to see how much, how gullible we are. If you can convince, uh, if you can convince uh, most Americans that little boys should be able to come little become little girls, even if their parents say no, what else can you convince them of? Can you convince them that, hey, we need to lock up these Christians? It's hard to explain right now, but Christianity is the cause of all the wars and all the evil that was done in the history of mankind. So you rewrite history. And um, I mean, how many people are told, well, Galileo is the, the science versus the church. How many people are even telling us that Galileo was a Bible-believing Christian? It was an intramural debate between Christians. They were both quoting Bible passages out of context to support their scientific theories and stuff. And um, But we're going to have this falling away of the faith and then forbidding to marry um, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I mean, we got Bill Gates and company. They want us eating bug sandwiches. That's why it's not really about the money in the end. The money is a means to attain power. It's about power. Why would a billionaire hundreds of times over have sleepless nights because Phil Fernandez is eating, is eating a, a Big Mac because I'm eating meat, you know? And I don't think he really believes cow gas is, is going to destroy the planet, okay? Believe me, if cow, if cow gas would have destroyed the planet Earth, we would have been toast a long time ago. <laughs> we're, talking, we're talking a long, long time of that. And, um, but in the last days, it's fallen away from the faith. We're going to see with the deification of the state, the state playing God, the state taking over the churches and saying the churches are non-essential. We can shut you down when we want. You answer to us. 
The final authority is the government, um, not the church, not Jesus. Jesus is not the head of the church. And they're going to tell us what to eat. They're going to tell us what we can and cannot do with our bodies, whether it's medical procedures or whatever. And uh, the state's going to play God. And um, uh, But apparently the day's going to come. They're going to forbid us from marrying and command us to abstain uh, from certain foods. I don't know why Bill Gates is so concerned and wants me eating bug burgers. Um, I'm sure he'd be having steak while I'd be chomping down on a bug burger. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't care what the government says. Um, but uh, And then look in uh, Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Starting at verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, the seven bowls of wrath, came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The woman in the book of Revelation seemed to be symbolic like the, uh, of belief systems, of religions, if you will. The woman that runs into the wilderness to be protected from uh, the Antichrist, that's Israel. Um, the bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven to earth, which has both Jews and Gentiles in it. Um, uh, you have the Jezebel false prophetess. Is it a little person or is it a belief system? We don't know. But here you have this harlot in the last days, and it says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. This is talking metaphorically that they didn't commit sexual immorality with her, but they were unfaithful to God by aligning themselves to this false religion. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication, her spiritual fornication, her spiritual immorality. Um, this is the antithesis of being the bride of Christ. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. That's the end time, one world uh, government headed by the Antichrist. She rides the beast. So they're working hand in hand. The end time, one world false religion, and the end time, uh, uh, one world government headed by the Antichrist. They come together. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now, eventually what's going to happen is that the one world government is just going to devastate and destroy the false church. It's going to use the false church to get people to worship the Antichrist and then stomp out the false church. you got to worship the Antichrist, receive the 666 mark of the beast on your right hand or on your forehead. I don't think Jesus told us all about this to entertain us. He told us about it because we might have to go through it if we live long enough into the tribulation days. And, um, and so all these passages talk about that uh, apostasia, the end time falling away of the faith. And so Paul here 
in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, he says, look, um, the day of the Lord, the Lord's return and our gathering to him will not occur until the falling away of the church and uh, comes first and the Antichrist comes first. Now, in verse 4, we're told the Antichrist exalts himself above God. He claims that he is God. He sits as God in the temple. That's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, okay, and by Jesus in Matthew 24. And so the Antichrist wants to look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 18 and 19. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we living in the last days? The answer is yes. The Bible says we've been living in the last days ever since the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Okay? So the last days has been however long this period is going to be. So we're definitely living in the last days. Are we going to see the tribulation and the return of Christ in our lifetime? I don't know, but if I was a betting man, I think you'd know how I would bet, okay? We're seeing lawlessness increase. Man's love grow cold. We're seeing the gospel getting close to being preached to all people groups, okay? We're seeing Christians and Jews hated in all nations, okay? And uh, so I think uh, uh, wars and rumors of wars, I think, I think that, it, we, you know, we had better be ready. Now, am I telling you... Therefore, quit your jobs. No, no, no. We're not going to do the Thessalonian fake news thing, okay? So whether you're pre, mid, post-trib, post-rath, whatever you might be, uh, you just keep living for King Jesus. Now, if a guy goes in a temple, proclaims to be God, demands he be worshipped, and they institute the mark of the beast, yeah, you better head for the hills, Okay? But until that point, don't quit your job. Now, by the way, a lot of us are going to get fired before that point. This government is doing anything in its power to punish us for loving King Jesus. You know, Jesus said, if you find the world hates you, know it's hated me before it hated you. Don't think you're a big shot. You know, every once in a while, some vocal Christians will get death threats every now and then. Don't think that you're a hot shot because of that. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing in, Phil Fernandez is not like even a, a blip on the radar of the Bill Gates and the Klaus Schwab's, okay? However, it's the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who indwells Phil Fernandez that causes people to hate him. So don't, don't, don't get a big head and say, wow. You know, I'm just I'm speaking the truth in love, and and uh, and people are hating me. Well, don't don't get a big head. It's not you that they hate; it's the Jesus they see in you that they hate. Okay, and um, um, like Ben Franklin, I'll add to it. But Ben Franklin once said, "You think you're a hot shot? You think you can make a big impact on the world? Fill a bucket with water, put your fist into the water, pull it out." 
and the dent you see left in the water, that's the impact you'll have on the world, okay? Now, let me, let me say this. You got to make an exception if the guy you're talking about walked on water. You got to make an exception if the guy you're talking about has, happens to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, become a man. You got to make an exception for King Jesus. Bill Gates doesn't want to make that exception. Who do you think I'm betting on? Am I going to put all my eggs in the Bill Gates basket? No. I'm with King Jesus. And I got good reason to be with King Jesus because he is our great God and Savior. He is the Jewish Messiah. And he's coming back to make things right um, on the planet Earth. But we'll close with this passage. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 18 and 19. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So there are many Antichrists, but in the last days there will be the miracle-working demon-possessed, Satan-possessed Antichrist who will rule the world, okay? But then he talks about Antichrist in, gen in general. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be able to manifest that none of them were of us. So you get people who come from within the quote-unquote Christian fold, okay, claim to be Christians, claim, claim to be teachers, claim to have heard a word from the Lord, claim to hold some kind of authority, okay? I will always tell you, John will always tell you, Pat will always tell you, Willis will always tell you, Chris will always tell you, if anything we say, and you study the scriptures, you disagree with us, this is the final authority, the word of God. The 66 books of the Bible, not us. Somebody comes along and they act like they have as much authority as the word of God or more authority than it, okay? And they come from within the quote-unquote Christian fold. Well, there's many of these antichrists that claim to be of us, but they're not really of us, and they're leaving proofs that they're not of us. Almost every one of the major non-Christian cults were people who either grew up in Christian homes or went to Christian churches. And uh, Reverend Sung Young Moon, the Unification Church, he thought he was the Lord of the Second Advent. He came out of the Presbyterian Church in, um, in uh, South Korea. Okay? Mary Baker Eddy, or the, the Christian Science cult leader. Um, and so, uh, so whatever the case, there are many Antichrists, but what Jesus is talking about is the Antichrist who will be revealed before the second coming of Christ. And then Paul says in verse 5 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Paul told the Thessalonians these things when he was with them. He was only with them for like three weeks. Why would he talk to them about these things? Why would he warn them about the coming of the Antichrist and the falling away of the faith? Why would he talk to them about the second coming of Christ? 
because they were important enough. They were priorities in, in uh, Paul's ministry. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Roman Catholic Church. I came out of the Catholic Church. I think it's very unbiblical. I think it's a blending of biblical Christianity with uh, pagan, the pagan Roman state. I think it has uh, uh, the possibility, if not probability, of being the structure that will be taken over. By the way, some Roman Catholics agree with me on this. It has the, this, the world, the global structure that will be taken over by the end-time false church. You know, all it's going to take is a, is a false pope, an anti-Christian pope. Some think he's already here. Um, coupled with the cardinals back in him, and what will be called Roman Catholicism could, could end up being that the harlot of the book of, uh, of Revelation. But, um, but Paul said, I've got to warn them. I've only got three weeks, and it's important enough to teach them, to warn them about what's coming down. So Paul told the Thessalonians these things when he was with them. He wants them to remember what he taught them. And, uh, and he told them, Jesus will not return for believers until after the falling away of the church and the appearance uh, of the Antichrist. Now, I'm just going to close with this. William Barclay was a Bible interpreter, and he said the three key truths in this passage, also running through verse 12, we'll be talking about these other passages next week, uh, he said, look, there is a force of evil in the world. That's the mystery of lawlessness. We'll talk about that next week. There is a force of evil in the world. Did you realize there are people that were agnostic concerning God's existence? And since 2020, they've seen so much evil in America and in the American government that they acknowledge the existence of Satan. And then they realize, well, wait, if Satan is real, then God must be real. And now they're returning to either their Christian or their Jewish roots. Okay, um, Naomi Wolf is an example of that. The radical woman's liberal that now all of a sudden is a, uh, for limited government and all her friends seem to be Christians nowadays. And, um, but uh, so Barclay says three key truths from this passage. There is a force of evil in the world. That's the mystery of lawlessness. But number two, God is in control. God is in control. And then number three, the ultimate Triumph of God is sure. The, the future of the church is not at stake. Okay? The followers of Christ will be vindicated. The enemies of Christ who do not repent, they will face God's wrath. And God's wrath is what? It's eternal wrath. And they start here, the second coming of Christ, but it goes on forever and ever uh, and ever. And... Uh, so if there's a force of evil in the world, the mystery of lawlessness that keeps growing, but God is in control and the ultimate triumph of God is sure, uh, then what do we do? Paul's going to talk about that when he closes chapter 2. Of course, we made the chapter breaks, but verses 13 and 17 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, what are we to do? We are to stand fast. So the whole world's falling apart. Wars and rumors of wars, diseases and famines, um, horrible things occurring all over the world. The world is coming undone. Um, then there's problems in the church, and the church is more and more falling away from the truth. And so what do we do? 
We stand, stand fast, brothers. Stand fast, sisters. Because the day will come when our king will take his stand upon the earth to make things right. Let's